Last week, um, I took a break uh, with communion, and so this morning I want to go back and kind of tie up the loose ends uh, from the previous two weeks. And so I'm going to be finishing up that that short January series on sharing our faith. Um, Three weeks ago, we talked about Psalm 1. And the tree planted by the streams of water, bearing fruit in season. And um, it it was a reminder to us that God chose us to bear fruit in keeping with where he's placed us. I I don't um, need to try to bear fruit in Redfield that someone else would bear in Rapid City or Chicago or somewhere else. Wherever God has placed you, you're supposed to bear fruit in keeping with that ground and that, that soil and everything that God has put around you here. And so what we try to do is figure out how can I be most effective for the kingdom where God has placed me. And that's that tree planted by the streams of water. It tells us where that tree is and what it meant for that tree to bear fruit. Then two weeks ago, we talked about the gospel never changing. Even though the world around us is constantly changing. Pastoring and doing ministry today is radically different than it was 30 years ago. Our world has radically changed. A lot of the things that used to work in church... A lot of the things I still wish worked in church, (laughs) because I'm old, (laughs) don't work anymore. And it's so frustrating, but it's reality. And so we have to figure out, what does it mean? How, How do we effectively communicate the gospel that never changes in this world that is always changing? Because I can't change the gospel. That message always stays the same. But how do I live that out in a world that is so, so different than what it used to be? So indeed, indeed, our methods change. The gospel doesn't change. But how we do it does change. And that means that, that you and I always in the church have to have a certain amount of change built into us in order to accommodate taking that unchanging gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, and communicating it in our world that is always changing. We talked also about Jesus developing long-term relationships in community to make disciples. The way Jesus made disciples is much more close to the way that we are going to have to make disciples than the way we have been making them for the last hundred years. Because in our American culture that was really grounded pretty solid in Christian and Jewish faith, 
patterns and thought styles and all of that. And, you know, there was a day when you went to public school and there was a Bible on the teacher's desk and the day was open with prayer and all of that kind of stuff. In fact, the first public schools in America, the only textbook that was there was the Bible. And so you see how far we have come as a culture. And so you have to figure out, you know, but if, if everyone understood and the Ten Commandments were there and you, you were exposed to this on a daily basis in culture, presenting the gospel to people is a completely different thing than when you're presenting it to people that have no clue. They haven't been exposed to the gospel at school. They haven't been exposed to the gospel in much of the media that they pay attention to. And so you're coming in cold and presenting the gospel to people that really don't have much understanding about it. How we present the gospel today is, is really different. The Billy Graham crusades that were so effective worked with people who had a church background or at least knew the basics. They're less effective today, partly because people don't go to them, <laughs> but secondly, because they don't have the background. So you can't just preach a salvation message and have people connect with enough of it to really understand. So our world has changed. What do we do about that? And the answer goes back, I really think, to what Jesus did. He took guys and he lived with them. <laughs> Built long-term relationships in community with people. We'd really like it to be simpler than that. <laughs> But that was a long-term thing. Jesus spent three years discipling guys. And at the end of three years, were they mature? No. <laughs> Judas betrays Jesus, one of them. Peter, the solid rock, denies Jesus three times. Says, I never knew him. This is after three years of discipleship by Jesus. And so I want to say this, the way we reach our world today is going to have a lot of ups and downs, disappointments and great encouragements. There's going to be a lot of mountains and a lot of valleys, and we need to keep walking with people in the process of the ups and downs. Because we not only are presenting the gospel to them, we're having to give them all the background that they've missed in life. And do all that teaching. And a lot of that is more caught than taught. You see, what Jesus did, what, what we've been doing for the last hundred years is we've been trying to make Christians out of a classroom experience and we just try to teach. That's not how Jesus made Christians. That's not how Jesus made disciples. Jesus made disciples by living with them in community. Walking with them. Going places with them. Talking about a fig tree. Sending them out on a boat. <laughs> when he knew the sea was going to get rough and there was a storm coming and he'd send them off and not go with them. 
And then he'd come out walking on the water to them. If we are going to win the world for Jesus, if we are going to make a difference in the lives of people, it is not going to be primarily made in a classroom. It's going to be because you and I got involved in the lives of people and walked through life with them. At times when it wasn't easy. And at times when it was hard and disappointing. But that is how we are going to win the world for Jesus. That is how Jesus won the world of his day. You can sit in the pew and listen to me for the next however many years, decades, whatever it is. But you will not become a Christian by listening to me. You will become a Christian, you will become a disciple because people poured their lives into you between Sunday and Sunday. And they walked with you and they cared about you. And you will become a Christian as you do that with other people. And you're there for them and you walk with them and you, experience, you experience what it means to be a Christian as you're going through ordinary daily life. Now, my introduction uh, just went way off bonkers. So I'm <laughs> I hope I'm I hope I still have some time left. Okay. Um, <laughs> so what I want to do today is, is just talk to you about the Great Commission itself. What did Jesus say the church is to be about? Matthew 28, 19 through 20, you've heard this all before many, many times. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, these are your words. These are some of the last words you gave to your disciples before you ascended into heaven. And they are very important words. Would you unleash your spirit to let these words melt into our hearts and into our brains and into our lives? Speak, for your servants are listening. Amen. The main noun in this, you will not find, it is the understood you. In this context, it referred to the 11 disciples. Therefore, you 11, go. And make disciples. In our context, it's you. <laughs> Therefore, go and make disciples.
These were 11 disciples who had been with Jesus. And yet, like I've already said, after three years of being with Jesus, day and night, they were still prone to do very stupid stuff <laughs> and disappointing things. Just weeks before this, Judas had betrayed Jesus and Peter had denied him and the rest had run away and hid while Jesus was being hung on the cross. And yet it was to those 11 disciples that Jesus came and said, therefore, you go and make disciples. Now, first thing that says to us is that some of us think, well, man, my life is kind of messed up yet, so I can't go. Jesus said, therefore, go to a bunch of guys that their lives were kind of messed up yet. And they've been following Jesus hands on for three years. And yet Jesus said to those 11, go. And he says to you, go. These 11 men had never traveled more than 30 miles from home. And Jesus said to them, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel, the good news. That tells me that Jesus trusted those 11 disciples. And Jesus trusts you. He trusts you with the gospel. Today, we have more tools than the church has ever had to win the world for Jesus. <laughs> we have all kinds of gadgets in the church today that, you know, the church has never had before. We have all kinds of technology. We have all kinds of, you know, light shows and everything else in some churches. It's, it's a great day. For that kind of stuff. But I do want you to notice here that Jesus didn't say, go get all your stuff and make disciples. He said, you go make disciples. That's not to say that we shouldn't use all the technology that we can and we shouldn't use all the lighting that we can. We shouldn't have the, you know, do the best we can with our facilities and all that kind of stuff to present the gospel. But we could never, ever trust technology to present the gospel. We could never present our building to, you know, to present the gospel. The gospel comes down to people talking to people and people living before people. That's what the gospel comes down to. Jesus told us to rely on people in order to make disciples. Larry and Cindy Marshall, you know them well in this congregation, former missionaries from this church. Larry's now in heaven. But Larry was speaking one time when I heard him, and he said, Jesus didn't instruct church signs, 
mass mailings or tracts to make disciples. He instructed people. We cannot sit back and just trust the gospel to tools. We have to become those tools in the hands of God to reach the world and to reach Redfield for Christ. That's the noun, the understood you. What's the verb? The verb is make. That is to construct, to create, to get involved. I was teaching Sunday school one morning some time ago, and Evan was here, and Evan, you know, you... As soon as you start teaching some Bible story, the first thing he wants to do is get a marker in his hand and go to the marker board and draw out the whole story. And so he spent the whole Sunday school hour drawing out the whole story of he was making. (laughs) He was creating the story. And Jesus says to us that what we are to do is to make disciples. Francis Chan has a video, and we hope it will work and play. We're going to experiment. When I was a kid, we used to play this game called Simon Says. Right? Most of us have played that. Unless you're really young, there's no app for it. Simon Says is, uh, you know, you just, Simon Says, pat your head, you know. So, okay, you know, Simon said it. Um. It's just, it was a very simple game, but it's so weird how in the church, Jesus says is a totally different game. If Jesus says something, you don't have to do it, you just have to memorize it. <laughs> you, 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 you study it, you memorize You guys, it, it doesn't make any sense, a lot of the things we do. When he tells us to go out and make disciples, and how many people in the, our churches are actually making disciples? They memorized it. You know, when I tell my daughter, hey, hey, Rach, go clean your room. She doesn't come back to me two hours later and go, I memorized what you said. (laughs) You said, Rach, go clean your room. I can say it in Greek. (laughs) My friends are going to come over and we're going to have a study on what it would look like if I cleaned my room. She knows better than that. And so why do we think we're going to come before the judge one day and quote everything that he said and talk about how much we know? It's just, it's just this black and white stuff. If I just started with scripture, I'd go, here's what I would do. I'd start making disciples. Thank you, Janet, Mike. That's the verb. Make. What are we to make? What's the direct object? And the direct object is disciples. We are called to make disciples. And for about the last hundred years, the church has been convinced that we are called to make converts and drop it off there. As long as we can get people to say the sinner's prayer with us, or if we can just get them to the altar, our job is done. 
And by and large, the churches felt pretty good about that. But that is not what Jesus asked us to make. That's just the first step. Jesus wants us to do more than just get people to say the sinner's prayer. He wants us to make disciples of people. Conversion. Repenting of our sins. Asking Jesus to come into our lives is really just the foundation of the building that God wants to make with your life and with everyone's life. No one, when they are making a house, building a house, stops at the foundation and says, it's done. They have plans. They put, you know, they, they put bolts down in the cement so they can build on top of the foundation. That's a large part of the reason the church is so ineffective today with the gospel. Is we stop too early. We are too preoccupied with making converts. And we have given up the hard work of making disciples. Because we would rather count decisions than count disciples. And I am no different, friends. When it comes time to turn in the annual report, I want to fill in a nice number on number of salvations. But there isn't anywhere on that form that asks the question, how many disciples were made this year? And that is what God wants to know about my life. That is what God wants to know about Redfield Wesleyan Church. That is what God wants to know about your life. How many disciples are being made? And then the question is, after we look at the noun and the verb and the direct object, well, how do we do this? And Jesus uses three words, three phrases, to tell us how we do it. Going, baptizing, teaching. Go. The movement of, a, of making disciples kind of stalled out in early Acts. It, got a, it, it just got stuck. You get to chapter 6, and all of a sudden, all that fresh energy that you expect to find in the book of Acts has stalled out. They aren't going anywhere. They aren't doing anything. They've sh shared the gospel with all the Jews in Jerusalem, and they're all kind of huddled there in Jerusalem. But they're not going anywhere. They are stuck. And so God does two things in the book of Acts. First, 
God sent persecution, and none of us want that. People came, people who came to faith in Christ had to go for the sake of their lives, to protect their lives. And so they left Jerusalem and they went to other places. And when they went to those other places, they took the gospel with them that they had discovered. And so all of a sudden they were going because of the persecution. But secondly, God recruited a young man named Saul who had been out persecuting the church. And he made Saul the greatest missionary that the world has ever known. Church history is full of great missionaries. But there isn't anyone that's ever measured up to the Apostle Paul. And so when the church was stalled out and they weren't going anywhere, they, you know, they just weren't going anywhere. Nothing was happening. All of a sudden, God does these two things. He sends persecution and he sends somebody who becomes a great missionary, and he leaves the 11 disciples temporarily in Jerusalem. And Paul goes out, and he says, well, if they're not going to do it, I'm going to do it. And he, he just starts going from one town to another. And you know what? By the, end of, by the end of his life, the church in Jerusalem had caught on, and those 11 disciples went from one place to another, and every one of them had a different mission field. All of them, except for John, died a martyr in a foreign land sharing the gospel. It's amazing. The Apostle Paul was an evangelist, but he was also a great church planter. Church planting is one of the most effective means we have today in making disciples. Dr. David Eaton, who uh, was a professor of mine in college days, said the goal of the Great Commission is a church of committed Christians in every community, every city, and every countryside throughout the world so everyone can hear and see, the demonstra see demonstrated the gospel from his own people in his own tongue and have a reasonable opportunity to become a disciple. And so that's part of the reason why we ought to be excited about church plants is because they tend to reach some new people that established churches kind of forget about or uh, uh, people in the community, they just, they don't look to established churches anymore. Sometimes a new church plant will come in and it will draw this person that's been unreached. And so it's a good thing that you are supporting overflow in the church there in Helena and what God is doing there and many other places. God does not call all of us, however, to go around the world. But he does call some. But going does always involve planning and movement and sacrifice. It doesn't matter where you go, you have to get ready to go. Right? Every time you go anywhere, it takes some energy and effort and planning and resources. 
And that is what God is asking of every one of us. As Francis Chan says, God doesn't want us simply to memorize the Great Commission. He wants us to do it. And, and when you think about reaching the world, that was costly to God. God gave his only son. It was costly to Jesus. He died on the cross for our sin. And when we share the gospel, it will cost us something if we go. If we, if we make a difference in this matter of building disciples and making disciples, it will cost us something. David Livingston had been fleeing all day from hostile, infuriated savages. During his 16 years in Africa, he had never been in such danger. Now he was facing what appeared to mean certain death, and he was tempted to kind of steal away under cover of night and seek some safety for himself. And he sat down near a riverbank and turned to the scriptures for guidance. And in his journal, January 14, 1856, David Livingston wrote that evening, felt such turmoil of spirit in, in the prospect of having all of my plans for the welfare of this great region and for the teeming population knocked on the head by savages tomorrow. But then I read that Jesus said, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Therefore go, therefore, and teach all nations, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And then David Livingston writes this, It is the word of a gentleman, of the most strict and sacred honor. So there's an end of it. I will not cross furtively tonight as I intended or um, so carefully tonight as I intended. Should such a man as I flee? <laughs> no. Verily, he said, I shall take observations for latitude and longitude tonight, though they may be my last ones. I feel quite calm now. Thank God. <laughs> facing death at the hands of savages and he just kept marching on because Jesus had said and I will be with you to the very end all must go some of us just across the street some of us across the state or the nation some across the world some will support through the work of going some will support through the work of giving some will support through the work of praying others by going on work teams like going to cambodia others some by being full-time missionaries but all of us need to go in some manner with the gospel as our world has become such a melting pot it is less and less important for us to go very far to reach our world, though. John T. Siemens taught that in India, the translation is, go and make disciples of all castes. <laughs> because the word there for nations is ethnic. It refers to races, tribes, all kinds of different peoples. And today the world has come to us, even in Redfield. Even in Redfield. 
All kinds of people go here. All kinds of people with all kinds of different backgrounds are right here in Redfield. They're at our doorstep. We don't have to go to them. They've come to us. Will we share the gospel with them? So the first thing is to go. And the second thing that Jesus says is baptize. And I'll be short here. First, we are to go. Second, we are to baptize. And the thing that we need to understand about baptism is that a disciple is one who has gone public with their faith and their trust in Jesus. Romans talks about not being ashamed of the gospel of God, for it is the power of God unto salvation. And the question for each one of us, and this is the mark of a disciple, when we are out making disciples, we want to get people to the point where they are not ashamed of Jesus. Not ashamed. They have gone public and they don't care who knows that they are a Christian and it doesn't matter what the media does. It doesn't matter what someone else says about them. They are Christians and they don't care if the whole world knows that they have given their lives to Jesus. That's what we want in a disciple. And then the third way of reaching our world is to teach. First, we are to go. Second, we are to baptize. And third, we are to teach. Jesus calls us to be teaching them to obey everything I have commanded. So first of all, teaching is not for the purpose of knowledge. Teaching is not for the purpose of winning Bible trivia. That's a great game. But you'd be surprised how poor I am at it. <laughs> you don't have to shake your head, Rachel. <laughs> we don't study the Bible to know facts. We teach people for the sake of obedience to Jesus. We teach people for the sake of life transformation and change. We don't teach people so they memorize a bunch of stuff, so they know a bunch of stuff, and they're, you know, big heads. They got these big Christian heads that they're know-it-alls. There isn't anywhere in Scripture that God even desires a know-it-all. And yet the world today is filled with Christian know-it-alls. They just have an answer for everything. And you know what God calls that? Just arrogance. And it is offensive to him. God doesn't care how much we know. He cares how much we live. How much we walk out in our life. That's what God is concerned about. So it is obedience to everything Jesus commanded. That, that means that I don't get to pick and choose what I like that Jesus taught and what I don't like. He says, teaching them to observe, to obey everything I have commanded. 
our world today wants you to be pickers and choosers. They want you to love because Jesus taught you to love, but they don't want you to do some other stuff Jesus taught you to do. And Jesus said, teach them to obey everything, to trust that everything he has commanded us to do is the best thing for us and the best thing for the gospel and the best thing for eternity. We lose credibility sharing the gospel when we are disobedient to Christ. And the other thing is we really have not effectively shared the gospel and made disciples if we haven't stepped in to help other people learn this key thing of obeying Christ. That's, that's a nutshell of what a disciple does. The Great Commission. It's my job and it's your job. It's our job. It isn't easy. It is not quick. It is not a simple solution that you can just plug in and play in people's lives. It's going to take time. It's going to take time in your life. Don't expect to be a disciple overnight. We don't live in that kind of a world anymore. The other thing is, it's impossible to do this alone. That word, and I lost this in my notes somewhere, but that word, great commission, co-mission, means that it's not something that you can do alone. It's not something I can do alone. We have to do it in community. That's why Jesus did discipleship making in a group of 11 people that could hardly stand themselves at the beginning. They had very different uh, political ideas, very different. They just thought different. They lived different. I mean, he put together tax collectors and people that like to kill tax collectors. <laughs> he put together fishermen with Matthew, the tax collector. And, and he put this group together, and he said, let's live life together. And figure out what it means to be a Christian. If you really want to be a disciple, it probably means that you will hang out with some people that you don't get along with very well, and you'll figure out what it means to be a Christian in that environment. But this word commission also means that all of us can't even do it together. We need the power of the Holy Spirit. We need God to come and help us reach our world for Jesus.